You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi, I am Olivia. I have been going to Free City for about three years now. I serve in worship and on communion and on teardown when we have to do that. Yay for it being summer. I also attend the Bebout Terrell City group. It was a little weak compared to normal, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> our scripture reading this week is out of Psalm 96. If you're using the Bibles under the pews, it is page 467 and 468. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offspring and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It still never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you that we can freely gather in this place to worship you, Lord, without um, obstructions, God. And I pray that we would just come and bring our hearts ready to meet with you, God, and that when we come to this place that we would expect to meet with you, Lord, God. And your word says we're two or more abide, Lord. You are there and you're in this place, God. And I pray that you would just teach us and grow us, Lord. I thank you for... Um, Pastor Taylor, I thank you that he's here with us, Lord, and I'm thankful for his ministry, God, and I pray that you would just use his words today, Lord, to touch our hearts, God, and I pray that we would bless him while he's here, Lord. We are so thankful for him and his family, God, and the work that they do in Turkey, Lord. We thank you for this school, being able to meet here, God, and the blessing that they've been to us, Lord. I pray that we can continue to bless them back, God, and that we would be kind of a light in a dark place, it seems, recently, Lord, and I pray that you would just shed your light all over this school and that um, we can do tangible things for the teachers and the staff and the faculty that will make them know that we appreciate them and that we love them, Lord, and so I just pray that you're with us this morning. I thank you again for all the believers here this morning that we can just come together um, and be together, Lord. What a sweet thing that is, so thank you, Lord. Um, I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning to anybody who doesn't know me. My name is David, uh, my wife Monica, and we have two children. Uh, we are Lawrence, well, I am Lawrence Grown, 
Um, and so my desire growing up when Jesus saved me and opened my eyes was to serve him and his church here in Lawrence till I died. Um, and so to be in Turkey 10 years was a shock to myself. I remember I was planning on being here forever. We wanted to see a church planted. We wanted to see Jesus' name famous throughout this city. We loved that the nations gathered in Lawrence and then get sent out from Lawrence. And we just saw it as a place, Lord God, exalt your name. And then somebody invited me and asked if I would be willing to go on a trip to Turkey and just see it. They said that they were going to be doing a church plant there and asked if I would be interested in coming, and I said, absolutely not. Not because I didn't feel called to missions. I knew that all of us, anybody who believes is called to both local and global missions, we would sacrifice, we would send, we would go on short-term missions. I just never thought I would go. I went to the city where we are now living, and I remember looking over the city And they said, in this region, that we could call it like a state, there are 12 cities. And it is full of people, about a million plus people. And I said, this is incredible. I love it. How many churches exist already in this city? And they said, there is no church. There's no church in this city or in the next city or in the next city or in the next city or any of the 12 in this state. And I remember never being faced with that reality in my life. And I felt like in that moment, the Lord ripped out from under my feet even the option to be able to go. I remember calling my wife and saying, I think we have to go. We went 10 years ago with three basic convictions. Share the gospel with all. Gather those who believe and make disciples in the context of the local church. And I want to stand here today rejoicing, not because of us. People come and people go, and we've tried to leave multiple times. Christ has kept us. There are now in this 12 cities, there are five churches. In our city, there is a church that gathers every week and all throughout the week who believe in Jesus who make disciples, and who share the gospel. Our desire has been that as the church is formed and fashioned by the believing of the gospel, where we come together and gathering and worshiping God, that we would also be a church that scatters throughout that city and that we would be able to put our roots so deep into the city that for them to be able to remove the church would be to injure the city. And so in this time where we're at now, we are seeking to plant churches where there are no churches in our region, to strengthen churches that exist. We are trying to work with the local hospitals to establish a hospice care center so that we can give mercy to those at the end of life, a rehab to restore the broken. I talked to the chief of police and I said, how can we be praying for you? And he said, for the first time in all of our city's history, addiction is out of control. Heroin has now hit our city, and it is wildly available, and we don't know what to do. We are starting a cafe so that we can get the church out into the city and the city into the church so that we can engage culture. 
there are two publishing houses that have been started. In September, we, with several other churches, are establishing a seminary for local pastors. There has been no solid theological training in our country for years, for generations, and most of the time people learn English, move overseas, love overseas, and never return. And so in September, we're getting to start Via Christos Academy's seminary. In the midst of all of this, we started hearing that people are being removed from the country. Our dear friends and co-workers and brothers and sisters in the faith, suddenly one family, and it was a shock, it spread throughout the church, it says there was a threat of national security there being removed from the country, and we thought, what, what could this be? What did they do? What crime did they commit? And on listing for crime, it says unlisted. Then another family, then another family, and at this point, we're just hit 135 families this year. And I remember realizing that all the people, God is working locally. He's raising up local Turks to pastor and to share. But there is also still a need for people to be coming and helping strengthen the existing churches. And I remember saying, talking with several pastors, the Turkish pastors said, what should I do? Should I pack my bags and just expect that we're going to be kicked out? And they said, not a chance. Do whatever it takes to stay here. Become a citizen with us. And I said, okay, we'll become a citizen. We'll do whatever it takes. We went to apply and realized that U.S. citizens are no longer allowed to apply unless they have an investment in the country. And the minimum investment needed to be at least $250,000. It was a giant that we thought was unable to cross. And I remember just going, what could we do? Where are we going to invest $250,000? Where are we going to get $250,000? We're barely making it ourselves and then we said, people are also not only getting removed from the country, but local churches are being removed from their buildings. And so we said, what if the Lord would allow us to buy our church, which is in the heart of the downtown city, not only buy the church, which is connected to, as we started restoring what was an old bar, we actually realized as we were pulling the plaster off the walls, we looked for a place to rent for over a year. As we're pulling plaster off the walls, what's falling off of the walls were ancient 17th century church walls. And we realized that in the 1700s, there was a church in our city and it had been covered over. And by God's sovereign grace, we happened to be in the exact spot. And so we said, okay, Lord, I know you're planting your church. I know you can do it with or without us. What do you want us to do now? And I remember saying, okay, I don't think we can raise $25,000. Genuinely, I have no faith, Lord, let alone $250,000. And so I called Free City Church. <laughs> I called Casey, and I went to set up a GoFundMe, and it said, GoFundMe is illegal in Turkey. If you want to set up a GoFundMe, call somebody in these regions, U.S. being one of them. I called Casey and said, Casey, I'm not asking you to do anything big. I'm just asking if you would help me set up a GoFundMe. The Lord put such a weight on Ethan and Casey and the other elders' hearts. We were overwhelmed. I remember getting calls back and saying, we're all in, and we're going to buy that church. 
And I remember going, okay, <laughs> Lord, you can do whatever you want, but we'll see. And I had all of these exit plans. I was like, if we don't get the money in three months, then we'll, we'll have this little thing. If it's not there in six months, we'll return all the money. And so I was telling people, like, you could donate. Don't worry. If, if we don't get anywhere in six months, we'll give all the money back. It's not going to be this big thing because I didn't think we'd be able to get it. Five months later, we purchased the building. And now we are 95% done with gaining citizenship. Guys, God is building his church. Why? Why is he building his church in Turkey? Why did we read Psalm 96? If you have your Bibles with you or one in front of you, open it. Let's just keep Psalm 96 open in front of us. Several months ago, we did a series through the Psalms, not all of them, but we went through several Psalms looking at how the Psalms teach us how to worship God in all circumstances. Our aim was not to go through every psalm, but rather to see how the psalms shape our hearts in such a way so that no matter what the circumstance is, we respond in the situation in worship. The hope of this series was that we would have a tool built deep in our souls so that when blessings come, we respond in worship. When sufferings come, we worship. When turmoil and depression comes, we worship. In joy and in sorrow, our response would always be worship. Now, what allows a heart to respond in worship when we suffer? The only thing that can cause that type of response to come from those type of situations is a deep, wide, robust understanding of the nature and character of God. So why can we worship when things are bad? Because we know God is our Savior from all things. Why do we worship when we're blessed? Because we know God, our God, is the gift giver. Why do we worship in war? Because we know God is both good and sovereign. Why do we worship in turmoil? Because we know God is our near and present comforter. The Psalms were songs of worship designed by God for us to memorize and hide his word, his character, and his faithfulness in our hearts so that no matter the circumstance, we sing. How many of you, when you're going through a hardship, you immediately text a psalm to somebody? How many times when you're like drug, drudging through life, you turn on a song and suddenly you begin to worship? The Psalms were designed by God so that we would memorize and hide his character in our hearts. The Psalms were songs, but they were songs that shaped and molded the Christian life. 
Worship ultimately, worship, a heart turning to God in whatever circumstance, worship ultimately is a life directed toward the glory of God. Marriage is lived for the glory of God. Singleness focused on the glory of God. Time spent for the glory of God. Cities ruled for the glory of God. Conflicts resolved for the glory of God. Jobs motivated by the glory of God. And churches planted in far off cities and in local cities for the glory of God. And this is exactly why we moved. I remember 11 years ago, as I stood on that mountain and I looked over the beauty and the culture and the uniqueness of that city, I remember beginning to cry out and saying, you deserve their worship. You deserve their devotion and their love. And they don't know you. Church, ultimately... The worship of God is the motivation and the source of all true Christian ministry. And therefore today, we're going to look at how the worship of God, how we worship Him in mission. All of us, as we get involved in missions locally or overseas, we want to serve the rich and the poor and the sick and the healthy, to give mercy to those in sin, to love the city and serve millions of different people in millions of different ways. But the reason that we do all this is not to ease our conscience or buy our way out of hell or to fulfill our Christian duty alone. Our motivation, and ask yourself, is not our motivation that people might see and believe in and love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? This, in one essence, is the church's existence and primary ministry, the hope that the nations would worship. Psalm 96 is unique Because it's not only a song sung to the church, it's a song that the church is supposed to sing to the nations. Listen to the very first verse. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Who? All the earth. This is us standing over Lawrence and saying, sing Lawrence, he's worth it. This is us looking over Fetier. Sing Fetier. He's worth it. As the psalm starts, it is a call to worship the Lord, sovereign God of all the earth. However, it is not simply for the righteous or the holy people to worship God, it is a call for all the world to worship God. This call to worship is like a beckoning call longing for the hearts of both the righteous and the wicked to finally turn to him. One brother said it like this in a sermon I heard many years. He said, isn't it amazing? Have you ever thought of the concept that when God created all things, he told at the very beginning, let there be light. And trillions of stars and galaxies burst into shine forth his glory and move just the way he commanded because he told them to. 
moving and traveling as God commands. The Lord sets the parameters of the waves and tells them, you can crash upon the shore, but only this far. And they listen and obey. He tells the sun to hold its place and let all things rotate around it for his glory. And it listens. The animals listen and do as he commands. The plant life listens and bears fruits and flowers for the glory of God. All things are good. And then he tells Adam and Eve to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and obey him. And they say, no. And that's when mission starts. Our primary purpose and missions is the motivation that God deserves, is owed the rightful response of a heart that loves him. When I stood on that hill overlooking that city in Turkey, I wasn't looking at the spiritualists or the Muslims or the atheists or the agnostics. I saw a people made in the image of God whose only life exists because God's keeping their lungs moving. He deserves their worship. Therefore, we cry out with the psalmist as we go into our jobs and into our homes and into our dorms and into our cities. We declare with the psalmist, sing to the Lord all the earth. Now in verse 2, what is the psalmist calling the nations to sing about? It says that the nations should worship and sing because of the name of God. And that they should declare his glory, his salvation from day to day. Two things. The name of God should be blessed. And the thing that they should be doing as they're blessing his name is declaring the salvation of God. Church, within a name is a person's character and power and presence and reputation. And therefore, to call the world to bless the name of the Lord is to bless God for who he is. Not for what he has given at first. Just, just if he didn't do anything for us, he is the only thing in all creation that deserves our rightful worship. He is the only thing that won't leave you empty. But now get this. Not only do we bless his name, but we also tell of his salvation from day to day as we bless his name. Because, listen, who he is and the magnificence of that name and his character is best declared through the salvation he gives. Church, when we share the glories and wonders of God and salvation to unbelievers, it blesses God. And when sinners who have been looking at this world, addicted to this world, turning against their God, suddenly turn toward God and declare how he has saved them, it blesses him. It makes him happy. It fills him with joy and glorifies his holy name. We worship God through mission by sharing the good news of the gospel with the nations. Oh, may we see this type of worship again. 
when it's not just good people who are singing nice songs or religious people who grew up that way and are just doing it out of duty, but rather when worship of God rises because sinners and sufferers and destitute and hopeless are saved. So why would Fetier or Lawrence, Kansas worship God with a new song? Why new? Because for the first time, people are hearing and believing the glories of God and realizing that all of that applies to this. Here in verses 4 through 6, we see a call for us as believers to worship God by declaring his glory among our cities and even the nations abroad. That's the first way we worship God through missions. We go, we speak, we declare his glories. Church, God is glorified in missions through that declaration, even in the hardest of places. When the hardest of hearts turn and believe, that is the beginning of worship in a foreign country, in your workplace or home. So church, let us obey this command. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all, all, all the peoples. And now to Lawrence, Kansas, who have turned far from God in Fetier, in Turkey. Worship God. Worship him, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Verses 4 through 6 reveal to us that among the nations, there are many gods. Gods made in our images, gods made out of gold, gods of religion and self-trust, gods of spirituality and energy. The Bible says that. But the Bible also clearly reveals that there are many gods, but they are all worthless in granting salvation. And so it boldly says, worthless are all the gods of the earth in regards to salvation. But there is one God who made the heavens and the earth and all that lives. And he, he is the one, the one who created all things. He's the one offering salvation. One brother, John Piper, said it just in one sentence. Ultimately, missions exists because worship doesn't. And therefore, we call to the nations. We call to our friends and our family members. We call to the nations by declaring the glories of God and crying out this. Oh, we long for this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. To ascribe something which the psalmist commands the nations to do three times. God, through the psalmist, is commanding the nations to ascribe the nations, ascribing to God three times 
something that God is due. Then he says that we should do this. We should ascribe this worship because it is due or owed him. Meaning that not only has God done all these things out there, but God has actually done something for the nations that deserve their ascribing to him a response of worship. The worship includes, listen to this, not just a song. The worship includes our families, the families of the nations. It includes giving glory, a heart turning to God. Giving glory to God literally means giving God the weight the weight of our lives. It's like if you could pile up on a teeter-totter all of your life and all of its significance and it just turns over and you say, this is what everything is all about. When God comes, it just goes, zunk, because he's worth everything. It includes the unrighteous nations coming into the courts of God in holiness. Okay, one, it includes the families of the nations. Two, it, require, it, it, it demands us giving glory from a heart, giving him the weight of our lives. And then three, it requires the nations bringing an offering. And it says in holiness. So how are the nations going to do all this when they are surrounded by and even filled with sin and idol worship? In the Old Testament, let us remember, as this is written, the nations could not come into the presence of God. There were specific places where they could go and where they could come to worship and offer something, but they were still considered foreigners and outsiders. In fact, there were specific walls that separated the people of God and the people of the nations. So, what is the offering that they will bring and what is the place that they will enter that this eternal psalm is calling the glory of God? Church, we must realize that many of the psalms both declared something in the past that was an eternal, relevant truth of God's character. But many of the psalms, just like this, also left people in this tension of wondering, there's something more than just calling the nations. There's something of them coming into the courts of God. What does it mean when the people of God and the nations will come and will worship together? And now look at how this psalm culminates. Verses 10 through 13. The psalm ends with two seemingly juxtaposed realities. First, we see God calling all of us to declare among the nations what? The salvation and the glory of God and calling them to come and worship. For sinners, for foreigners like you and me to come and worship. But then as it ends... It ends with God calling us also to, to, to declare something else to the nations. His coming judgment. Listen to verses 10 to 13. Let me just read it. It says, Among the nations, say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar up and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy for the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge. This is how it ends. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and all the peoples in his faithfulness. Church, this final statement, we are called to declare among the nations as our act of worship and missions is that the Lord reigns and that he, the creator of all things, is coming to judge the world. So church, your responsibility, my responsibility is to call the nations to worship God and to tell them that their creator God is coming to judge them in equity. Now God's coming judgment in verses 11 through 12 causes all creation and the righteous to rejoice and to worship because God will finally bring all evil to an end and cause justice to flow. But what about the nations? Do the nations actually want to be judged in justice? Do you and I actually want to be judged in justice? Judgment is not talked about today as a motivation for worship very often, nor as something that we promote as a way to draw people to God. Go, church, let's run out into Lawrence, Kansas today, and everybody just declare downtown, You're all going to be judged. Come worship. Aren't we trying to get past the soapbox preachers condemning us all from their self-righteous high-risers? Hasn't that been an old thing that we tried and saw as wanting? However, church, let us not run too far. Let us hear this unpopular reality. This is Israel declaring to the foreign nations they know the commands of God. And on that final day, God will judge all the peoples based not on their good works outweighing their bad works or on whether they have broken one law or not. They will be judged on whether they have broken one law at all. Have they loved God with all of their heart and people as themselves? Have they lied or coveted? Have they murdered or been angry? Have they committed adultery or lusted? Listen to the Ten Commandments screaming from this. Have they kept the Sabbath and worshipped the God and worship or worshipped any other gods? Have they stolen anything or misused God's name? Church, sin is not just an ugly word for religious Pharisees to use. It is what causes death, destruction, and separation. It is what has polluted and molded and deformed all good. Therefore, if we have broken God's law, then God's justice is demanded. As a consequence, and if God simply forgave sinners and overlooked all evil, he himself, in his very name, would be unjust, unrighteous, and unfaithful. And that does not line up with his character. Don't misunderstand me. You have my word. If there are good Muslims or good Hindus or good hippie spiritualists in Lawrence or good Christians or good atheists, not one of them will go to hell. Every one of them will go to heaven. The only issue is that that category of person, no matter background, culture, or religion, doesn't exist. We are all sinners before a holy and perfect God. 
And therefore God's justice makes creation sing for joy, but causes the nations to tremble. So how does our declaring God's glory among the nations and his judgment cause the nations to end in a response of worship? And that climax, that eternal climax that this psalm was building up for hundreds and hundreds of years is ultimately found in the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, and if you've heard this a million times, don't harden your heart. Let us weep today to hear the gospel. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to live as our representative to take on human flesh and live as the only one who has never broken the, God, the law of God. This was his glory. But then Jesus laid down his life for the nations so that justice could be upheld. Then Jesus died in our place so that forgiveness could be faithfully given as the fulfillment of this psalm. The cross of Christ is how the nations worship. It's the only reason any of us worship today. It's how God stays just and it's how he reveals his glory through the church proclaiming his gospel among the nations. So, O Fetier and O Lawrence, behold the birth of Christ. Behold the life of Christ. Behold the perfection of Christ. Behold the power of Christ. Behold the cross of Christ. Behold the resurrection of Christ. Behold the ascension of Christ. Behold today, O nations of the earth, the invitation of Christ. Come and believe and worship. Church, God is worthy to be worshiped because he's God. To be worshipped because he's good. To be worshipped because he is the sovereign creator. Worthy to be worshipped in the good days and the hard days. But church, let us never forget that he is also worthy to be worshipped as we go out to the nations and declare his glory. The glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that the lie would be broken that the nations will never be Christian again. Because of sin. The hardness of heart, the advances in science, or all the millions of battling religions. God is God, and he has ransomed for himself a bride from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I will declare that glory to the end of my life. So as we close, let us worship. Today, if this message has stirred you in any way, even a fraction in your heart, and you desire to be a part of God's spreading his glory among the nations, both locally or foreign, through your small life, then church, would you stand with me as an act of worship? That we want God to use our lives, our talents, our time, our energy, and our efforts to be used for the glory of God. Because Lord, you're worth it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, may your son's name be famous, famous and adored. 
God, would you stir us up to be able to believe again that you can break the hardest of hearts, that you can take from our neighbors and our friends and our relatives and the nations of the world. Let us not lift up those giants of Islam or anything else, Lord God. Let us believe again that you can take out from us a heart of stone and put in us a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh would have your law written on it so that we love you and worship you from a heart that adores you. God, may we marvel at the glories of your gospel. God, thank you for establishing your church in Lawrence. Thank you for establishing your church in Fetier. And Lord God, help us to believe that the best is yet to come. Lord, we give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.